to the It'll Buff Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Grachowski, CEO and founder of Five and Fly LLC. What if I told you there's no set path on separating from the Army? If you are an active duty Army officer seeking to separate from the Army in the next 18 to 12 months, here's the deal. Stay tuned. The fact of the matter is, people out there are going to tell you that there's a set path to go on, whether that's pursuing an MBA or pursuing a certain internship path. There isn't. And here's what I'm going to tell you. You can write your own path. You just need to be able to filter through the noise. This podcast is going to provide you with interviews, one-on-ones, and personal experiences that help you create an azimuth to guide you on the path of separating from the Army. This isn't going to have all the answers, but it's going to help point you in the right direction. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in. It'll buff. I'm your host, Daniel Grachowski, and today we're coming at you with another episode talking with another amazing individual who has dedicated their time this morning uh, to give a little bit of insight into their journey out of the military. Now, we talk about journey out of the military, and, and kind of one of these points we've been hitting on lately is that this journey is actually this transition, if you will, is evergreen. Uh, it's one of those things that it doesn't just stop once you get your DD-214 and then walk, sign out a post for the last day. Um, it's one of those things that continue, and we're going to dive into that. But just real quick before we go in, I just want to say thank you to everybody who continues to turn into this podcast. Um, I'm so thankful for your support and the community as it's continuing to grow. Please share this with all those people out there that are in your network that are thinking about getting out. Uh, these are just great stories I know I wish I would have had getting out of the military and uh, so without further ado, we're going to dive into today's episode. And so today, Zach, I am, I apologize, but can you, can you help me? I want to make sure I get this right for the audience. Can you help me pronounce your last name? It's one of those tricky ones. I know I have a tricky one as well. Sure. It's, it's Merva. Zach Merva. Nice to, Zach Merva. nice to be here. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So today we have Zach Merva and diving into his introduction, he, he wanted to make it a point up front, right? It's he transitioned a little bit ago, about two years ago. So he we're kind of we were joking before coming on this podcast episode, some of these things might not hold true, but uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to find out that they do. Um, and one of the things that Zach was able to do during his transition out when also while he's in the military was he had a lot of things that he were that were in his corner that helped him to be successful, right? So being a West Point grad, getting a Columbia, a master's degree from Columbia. Um, but one of the things that he, even in having that, realized that I still don't know what I want to do with my life after the Army. Uh, so, and we're going to dive into that. And then just kind of the, the best accolade, and I love this because I've always talked to many people about this, but he, he is that he took command while he was in the military. Um, and it's it's not like being a CEO of a business. Um, and so we'll, we'll dive into that as well. But without further ado, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, of course. This is this is great. Now, for all you listeners out there, this is one of those instances where we got we got connected via LinkedIn. It was kind of one of those things where Zach popped up. The, the algorithm math, if you will, was like, "Oh, you guys should meet." And this is, I guess, our stars. We're we're destined to align here, um, and the rest has kind of been history. But Zach has an awesome, awesome story, and and I think it's one as we were talking before. This really kind of lines with that it'll buff mentality. And so really, I'm going to give the mic over to Zach and Zach, you know, go as far back as you need to, to really kind of create that holistic transition, you know, journey, you know, when you kind of were in that part of your military and then really kind of where it's brought you to where you're at today. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I'll go, I'll give you the kind of real brief background. So I enlisted in 2005, a long time ago as a medic. Wound up or wound up at West Point. Um, I was what I like to say a third time go. It took me three tries to get into West Point, <laughs> and uh, I had a blast while I was there. Made a ton of friends. I met my wife, and then I commissioned as an army or as an armor officer in 2009. So from there, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Korea, command did all kind of the hit all the marks. Uh, my wife got out right after I took command, and so. She was, um, you know, a West Point grad was now following me around, getting her on, you know, going on her career path. Every time I PCS was uprooting her, we had our first kid right before we left uh, Fort Hood and Alcabasas. And so 
we were transitioning up to West Point. So that's where I got my master's degree in route to go be a TAC officer. Uh, and so as, as many you know, West Pointers may have some sort of icky feeling about when they hear TAC, but for me, it was an incredible opportunity to get a graduate degree in, in, in something that I never knew I would be passionate about. Right? So I was a management major at West Point after I was told that I couldn't be a life sciences major because I would, grades were too bad. And so I was thrust into this program at West Point where, or at Columbia, where I was in organizational psychology. And so I was understanding group dynamics, executive coaching, leadership on a theoretical basis. So I had a year where I really got the chance to understand what it is to be a leader through the lens of my experiences. And so that put the, the kind of bug in my ear about what, what can I do in this? Way? What, can, what is it that I'm even capable of doing? Outside of the military, because I was interacting with consultants who were my professors, uh, civilians who were at Columbia. So I started seeing kind of the things that were out there. You know, fast forward, I go through my time as a TAC, um, was moved up to be a Reg XO, oversaw nine of the companies. Um, and then eventually I decided this is it. And, and that happened when my wife was getting her MBA at night. And I was looking at her and seeing how, you know, we were about to have our second daughter and my wife was going to night school to get her MBA from Temple. She was making $14 an hour working at the education center for those who at West Point know it was right next door to the subway. And so she was just, you know, getting ready for me to go be a three or an XO. And I looked, I was like, this isn't fair, you know? And so I, uh, I decided with her that this is it. This is going to be my final assignment. Um, I didn't know anything else to the military and I would write out my last you know, time in the military at West Point and spend that time going to football games and all that good stuff. Then COVID happened. We'll, we'll kind of fast forward past that. But I was then found a job teaching. Uh, actually, with the former BTO that pulled me in to be a TAC moved over to be the deputy department head of BSNL, Behavioral Sciences and Leadership. And so I got to teach leadership at West Point. So taking all that theoretical stuff that I learned in grad school that I applied through my lens of my military experience which then I got to coach and, and advise and help cadets. Then I was teaching it in the classroom. And so that's when I started my transition is when I was full-time teaching and I was starting to see how much I loved this leadership space, that development leadership space. And I then looked around and was like, what in the world can I do with this? Like, I love this. I love what I'm doing. I love teaching. How in the heck do I make this a career? I didn't know. Like I'd heard that there's something out there. I've assumed that West Point grad, masters from Columbia, like there's got to be something in there, as, as I mentioned, or as you mentioned in the intro. And so I found, I started aggressively networking and I started kind of going after or talking with people that could share their experiences and, and open another door for me. And each conversation I had led me to something new. And one of those things was the Commit Foundation, which oddly enough, I just met with them again this morning, right before I talked to you, and to do my two-year check-in, where we talk about kind of where I'm at right now. And it made me think more and prep for this conversation, how important that was. And what that program did, the Commit Foundation is part executive coaching, part reflective journey, but it helped me think about my transition, think about what it is I do now really well. What do I love about what I do now? What do I not want to do next? And thinking through all these steps that I want to take into my, what they call adventure 2.0. And so I was having conversations going through this. What's my next life going to look like? What in the hell am I going to do when I grow up? And eventually I started thinking about this leadership advisory space. And so that's where I ended up. That's what I do now. It's what I love. But in that process, I also started reflecting on LinkedIn and doing all these things. So I'm going to pause there because I don't like talking. That's why I interview people for a living. So it's weird being on the other side of this, but I'm going to pause uh, because right at this stage, I had started this networking plus reflecting publicly. And that's what I was doing and understand myself and what I wanted to do. Next. So I'm going to pause there. No, I, Zach, I really appreciate you sharing that. One of the things that I was really passionate about, I was fortunate enough to, while I was at West Point, uh, I, I played football there. So I had, not only did I have, you know, my TAC officer, but I also had the officer reps that 
hung out with the football team. Um, and what was really cool was West Point does a lot of great things for the cadets. And I'm very thankful for that experience. And I mean, especially when I was a platoon leader and I had some soldiers who were absolute, you know, just awesome individuals. I was like, Hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be an NCO, but go, go to West Point. Just go. I promise you, you're, you're, you're going to love it. And interesting enough, I was talking with a colleague and, and he's like, it's one of the hardest cells in the army. I have no idea why. And it blows my mind cells at this point, but all to be said, I got to spend a lot of time with some of those ORs. Um, and some of them happened to be, I was, I was a mechanical engineer myself, uh, borderline, maybe should not have been in there, uh, playing football made life a little more difficult, uh, than it should have <laughs> been. Uh, but needless to say, I made it through, I got past the fee and I did all the stuff. Uh, so I did it. Um, but I actually had a lot of instructors who would come to the, you know, to Mikey stadium and then go in some of those rooms with us. And they would, he would teach me like dynamics, problem sets and work through that. And so, you know, one thing I love to hear about you is like, you actually did took the journey, took the trek back to the, to the mothership, right? You went back to West point. And for me, I told my wife, that, you know, hey, if we decide to stay in the military, one of the things I really want to do is we love our community down here in Austin. And I was hoping to stay there long term and things were kind of setting up that way. But so one of the things I would I really want to do is I either want to go back to the, to, to West Point to teach mathematics. Uh, I knew I probably wasn't going to make it back into the engineering department to teach, uh, seeing I barely skirted through as a cadet uh, or or be a TAC officer and really be able to pour back into those cadets all the things are pouring back, poured back into me. And so, you know, I call this, I call my company five and fly. Um, but I do also preach to individuals when I talk to them and, and I guess I shouldn't call it preach, but really kind of walk through, Hey, maybe staying in the army is, is something you should think about. And, and here are some career paths that you can go on. So I would love to just shed a little bit of light onto, Hey, what did that journey look like? Um, yeah, really, just for those people out there listening, you know, a lot of my peers are kind of looking at that. Hey, what's that follow on assignment look like? Yeah, yeah, happy to share that because, uh, you know, as with many things, I screwed it up and I got lucky because, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll still come up later. But the, I wrote a book about my transition. It's called Brute Force and Ignorance. And that is how I like define my military career is like I succeeded through Brute Force and Ignorance. And the re like I thought going back to be a TAC officer, like you think about your TAC team, you think about your instructors, you put them on a pedestal in your mind, or you don't, I don't know, like my TAC got fired for sleeping with me. So it wasn't exactly the best role model. And I wanted to be better than that. So that's one of the reasons why I went back. But I thought you had to be like post command, like top tier, all this stuff. And what I didn't realize is that you can apply like way sooner than you realize, basically coming out of the career course. And that basically putting you in the queue for West Point and that potentially can shift you up in the command queue if you've got like a long command queue and you've already got an acceptance to go back and teach in mathematics or insert X department at West Point. They'll move you up in that command queue so you can take command sooner so you can go to grad school because they need to move you up a little faster. Um, I was the idiot who was like a senior captain post command, then started his application. And so I was way behind the power curve. I could have gone almost two years sooner than I did. And it all worked out, but you know, again, I got some tremendous experiences and glad I went the way I did, but I could have gone faster. And that's just something to think about. So if you're thinking about going to West Point in any capacity, whether it's attack or whatever, reach out to them now. If you're, especially if you're in your window, like your cohort, they like, it's probably open and you don't even realize it. You're probably mm -hmm. ignoring all the emails you're getting that saying like, Hey, you, you could do this thing and become, go to useful staff and faculty, at least put the application. It's mm -hmm. something to think about. And it is, no matter what you end up doing, being attacked is hard. Like being attacked is really flipping hard. It's, it's, it seemed like you could, whatever thought you had about your attack, if you put your heart and soul and you're, you're passionate about developing leaders and caring for cadets and giving back more than you got yourself, it's hard because you're working typically, think of how many times your attack officer or NCO was at a football game on Saturday training came in to check in at formations on a Sunday evening when everyone was come back for recall, like they were there when their families were at home. I worked a minimum six days a week for almost the entire time I was a TAC officer. So, and, but I relished those opportunities to work with the kids. They were pain sometimes and it was hard, but 
I love, I mean, I still stay in touch with many of my cadets and, and it, I got to, um, unfortunately, the reason why I had to get together is one of my uh, cadets had passed away. She was killed in a training accident um, in Germany and being able to be there for the funeral down in Austin, not too far from you, um, reconnecting with some of the cadets from my company that I hadn't seen since they graduated was incredible. And the meaningful connections you make as a TAC officer, the impact you can make by being a positive role model instead of like being a human being, which is what I don't think a lot of TAC officers and NCOs are seen as, I think it helps. And it was super meaningful for me having them over to my house for like, I used to make them cook dinner because I was like, at least you're going to walk away here being able to make a meal so you won't die. Like <laughs> that was always my running joke because I don't think any of them like could do laundry, much less like cook a, you know, I used to make them have them pick the meal, but I have them make something complicated with supervision. So they didn't cut their fingers off, but like, so that they actually knew what they were doing so they could feed themselves. And that was awesome. Like that little stuff, like my kids love that. They would actually come over. My kids would lose their minds. And so um, it's a great experience. It's hard. Being an instructor is way easier. So if you can do that, like you can go like, it's just difficult stuff, but you can go to the football games and not have to worry about yelling at people all day. Like it's awesome. So go be an instructor. Ideally COVID doesn't happen and you miss out on getting your season football tickets. That's a whole story too, but it, it's an awesome experience. If you get the chance to give back to cadets, um, it's really, really a blast. And being an OR was so cool. Like I, so I OR'd for the, rug, the men's rugby team. Amazing experience. Like getting to work with those, those guys, I was lucky enough to work with them the year I left right before they won the national championship and getting to like have a thumbprint on the power of that program and what they were doing, like was so much fun getting down to watch them work was incredible. So I, I could gush all day about how important it was to go back. Uh, it was just a cool, and it's a different experience. Yeah. You nerd out about this all day. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you diving into that, Zach. I think it's, it, it's, it's one of those opportunities that I think it's overlooked amongst, you know, I, what I, the reason why I brought that up is because obviously mentioned it before going into it. I think it's important to help people understand that, Hey, sometimes staying in the military is, is the right move. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't think through that and they just get so caught up in, you know, climbing the ladder. It's like, okay, you know, platoon leader, XO time, triple C, uh, you know, staff time, command one, maybe command two, uh, you know, ILE. S3, X, you know, you know, they just kind of go, it's like, I don't want to do that. And it's just kind of helping them opening their eyes saying like, Hey, you can kind of take these tactical. I mean, like obviously hearing from you, maybe not being a tack officer might not be the tactical pause you're looking for, but you know, maybe being an instructor um, or some of these other broadening assignments. And so I just kind of wanted to hit on that because I think it's really important that, you know, I don't want to get, I, I don't even know if anybody's bad mouth and be like, Oh, all you're talking about is getting the army. And I think especially, especially in today's, if people are keeping up who are transitioning out, the DOD is really kind of cracking down on readiness and the, you know, they're hemorrhaging officers. And so some of those opportunities might not be afforded to you. So just be on the lookout for that. Now you're talking about, and you kind of made a brief mention to it, right? So you, you, so you're, you're at West Point, you're, you're teaching um, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm looking at my wife. I have a really good reason to get out of the army because it's, it's not fair to my wife. And then, you know, my family, as they grow up, just kind of looking at this lifestyle under, right. Understanding what's next and that next rung in the ladder. And so you think, okay, it's, it's time to get out. Here's my background. Um, you know, I, I understand what's out there, but it's going to require a little bit of brute force. Um, so let's kind of just dive into really that next, that next stage of that transition. Um, by a brute force that, that some would say the uh, armor tanker death before dismount mentality. Maybe that's where it came from. <laughs> maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Um, what, one thing before we move past that, and I want to make sure I reinforce this because you, you brought up something really important. Don't let anyone dictate your career. Mm. You, you do you at the end of the day. If you, cause I can't tell you how many times branch told me, don't go to West point. It's going to kill your career. Not to sound crass, but F them. Like you do you. If it's the right move for you and your family, if you want to do that because you want to give back to mentor cadets because you were in, in the glee club and you want to go work on the glee club and support them, do it. Like it'll all, it'll buff out, right? It'll, it will buff out and, and it will be more meaningful for you and you'll be more passionate about that. And I promise you the one consistent thing out of all the hundreds of GOs and fancy people that I've either met at West Point or beyond or whatever, the one consistent thing 
is that every single one of them looked, like, sat down and talked to cadets and said, you know, about my career, the one thing it is, one thing it is, is not normal. I didn't follow the typical career path. They all say that. So don't let branch tell you you need to follow XYZ pathway. Do what you need to do and then try to find an opportunity to do what you want. Mm. And that drives me crazy. I used to get in so many fights with branch that <laughs> like, I'm going to do this because it's for, for me and my family. And I'm going to give back in a way that's meaningful to support the army through making the next generation of officers suck less. How about that? Is that good enough for you all? And so like, I had a blast doing that. That was like my focus in life. It's like, I'm gonna make you all not as bad as I was. Like, you're welcome army. Like that's the best I can do. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, not, don't quite like give middle finger to branch by any means, but like, it's an opportunity for you. So, yeah. well, that said, the transition is why we're here. <laughs> the, uh, so, the, the, what I started doing, right? So talking about the armor mentality, something I learned early on in my career that I found really, really important for me is sharing lessons learned. And so for me, that's really important. It's one thing if like you can be really good at something. It's another thing if you share that with others to help elevate the entire organization. Something that I learned, I don't remember what the heck I, I learned it. I did it at West Point where I would make like the study guide for the core courses. I needed it for myself instead of just keeping the study guide for you know, PL300, which I taught, but like keeping the study guide for myself for insert X class, I would share it either with my company. I ended up having a distro at the time I was like a, a count or firsty. It was like 150 people. And like people yeah. would email me like, you know, two days before a major test and be like, hey, when are you going to send out your guide? Like, I don't even know you. Right? Like, yeah. and that, yeah. but that was important to me, right? It was, I wanted to share what I was doing so that somebody else could maybe do it a little less stupid, right? They can do it better than I did. And so that's how I approached my transition. I looked at it and I said, okay, I'm getting all these great, I'm having these great conversations. Wonderful people are meeting with me, sharing their insights. I'm working with organizations, whether it commit or other folks are spending time and resources on me. Let me talk about that. Let me share what it is that I'm doing, my lessons learned, the goals that I'm setting, the conversations I'm having that celebrate the people that are helping me along the way. And, and put that out there in the world. And that was a way for me to share all this stuff and something that was important to me from my kind of how I came up in the army, but also psychologically speaking, or just frankly, because I suck at keeping up with my own goals, it kept me publicly accountable. And so having my, you know, putting out there on a Friday saying, hey, my goals for next week are to like have five networking calls. Mm. And then having to review my goals from the previous week and say, did I succeed in my previous goal, yes or no. And putting that out into the world, there was some level of like motivation behind the scenes where it pushed me to say, I need to do this thing. And why I was doing that is because I was terrified. I, even with all the stuff I had in my corner, I was terrified of what was next. Because I, I, I had a family that was relying on me. I was, we had decided we were moving to a place. We were moving to Dallas. We lived in Dallas. We had family that used to live in Dallas. We didn't know anybody here, really. And so there's all these unknown factors. So how do you break down the unknown? You just start figuring it out. And so for me, that was sharing those lessons learned, slowly ticking away at goals and just trudging forward through brute force and ignorance, whatever you want to call it. But that's what I was doing. And that helped me connect with more people. People started sharing those articles. I started finding resources. You know, it's like one random example, Sales Platoon. I had never heard of Sales Platoon. I got to sit in on a call where they sh they had some you know, top tier CEO share experiences with these folks. I don't want to be in sales, but it was fascinating to listen to these folks and I made connections that I could share with other people, even if that's not something I wanted to. Sales is a great thing to be in if you're a transitioning vet. If you want to move fast and make a ton of money, like sales is for you. So that's a great organization that does a skill bridge. And so people didn't know that and I can share that. And so that's, uh, that's the, how that process started and what I was doing kind of taken away at a time. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause again. No, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the, uh, the, the tactical pauses. It's, you know, it's, I can, I can feel the, the instructor coming out, you know, brief, brief, a couple brief a couple of blackboards, you know, and then, and then chalkboards and pass it back to the, you know, what do you guys talk amongst? But I, I really, I really appreciate that mentality. And, you know, one, of the, one of the things that 
we're trying to do at Five and Fly and and via the Edelbuff podcast is exactly what you're talking about, right? It's I'm like I I was thinking to myself, especially as I was transitioning, and for those of you that have listened, go back to episode forty two or sorry forty one, forty two, or episode one, the pilot episode, you can hear a little about my journey and I spent I spent four months being unemployed, and you know Zach talked about it way back, right? When he was mentioning, when we kind of walked through, hey, here's what he, here's how he was set up for success. And even as an athlete, I was told when I went on my recruiting visits, right? It's like, you're going to be a West Point graduate. You're going to be a varsity football player. You know, you're going to, you're, you're not going to have any problem getting a job. And then you're going to have the long gray line there to support you. And, you know, June 4th, 2021, I'm reaching out to the long gray line and I got nothing. I'm getting crickets. Now, it was the perfect storm. COVID kind of was easing, right? Everybody's like, oh, I can actually go on vacation with my family. So like the last thing somebody's going to do is talk to, you know, me. And, you know, I think part of, you know, talk, just talking about this brute force, right, is I, you can you can choose to go one of two ways, right? You can either choose to do the woe is me route and think to myself, okay, nobody, nobody wants to talk to me, et cetera, et cetera. Or I love the brute force mentality because if you look at today's world, especially with how things are getting accomplished, they're, they're, it's, it's almost like being on a reconnaissance team. You know, you, you, you're given a 50% solution, right? The op board's 50% complete. And it's like, just go, go execute, just hit send. Um, and hopefully we get it right, right? Like hopefully we sent the right unit to pull reconnaissance and you do only see a platoon of infantrymen and you don't see a company of tanks coming your way. You know, it's like, that's kind of what you're hoping for. Um, and I think what a lot of people get so, you know, stymied or, or paralyzed by is that lack of just being like, Hey, you know what, let's go, let's go do it because they just haven't heard the conversations or they haven't talked to the person. And so as I was going through that transition, I'm like, I'm, ha- I'm beginning to have these conversations. And then I'm telling this guy by a word of mouth and I'm like, maybe, how do I, how do I just. You know, I'm kind of like you. I obviously I have a podcast, so I, I kind of like talking. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty introverted. Uh, after most podcast episodes, I've sweat through my clothes because of the nerves that I've, uh, I've I've overcome during the podcast episode. But how do I make it to where I can have these conversations with people like Zach, who are very have a lot of knowledge to provide and get it out to a broad audience? I was like, we'll just start a podcast and. At the end of the day, I'm still having the conversation. So I'm still having the conversation and I'm getting the knowledge. But if somebody else wants to tune into it, you know, they can do it and it's free and it's there and they can listen to it. And I have them all labeled uh, to the best of my ability. Um, And if you don't like how they're labeled, leave a comment below. We'll we'll fix that. Um, But I I just I, I really I really appreciate that mentality of, hey, just just start having conversations with people because over and over and over again, I don't care the more I've talked to people and I've been doing some helping people with sourcing and recruiting on the side, the resume gets you so far if that, but if you know somebody who knows somebody, right? So this network idea, that is the real, that is the real breadwinner in this overall concept, right? I I mean, you got to have that. You got to have the resume. The resume is a ticket in the door, but you're not going to know about the party unless you network correctly. Um, is the way that I like to tell people. And so I really, I just really appreciate how, that idea of having conversations. And I think it was, uh, I forget, I don't know if it was like a book or an article or something I just heard, but it's this idea of never eat lunch alone. Never eat lunch alone. Always try and coordinate to have a conversation with somebody because you never know where that's going to lead. Um, and so I just, I, I, I really appreciate that. And so, um, you know, Diving back into it, as you as you're kind of having those conversations and you kind of start to see some stuff develop, you know how how do you go about executing? How do you go about how you know how did Zach go about building you know those conversations into a network that led into the next thing into the next thing? Yeah, it's a great. I mean, so much you just hit on is is exactly that. And so, what to to summarize it, strategic network. That's what all of this comes back to, because. To your point, I cards on the table, right? I could have gone to ROTC. I could have gone to I went to West Point because like you're supposed to have the long green line that supports you later, and it does. Don't and kind of but to your point, 
you kind of think that you're going to show up after you get out of the army and there's like some old grad's going to show up with a briefcase at your door. Like here's your six figure salary. Congratulations. You made it. Like that's not it at all. And as soon as folks get that beyond their, like get that out of their head, that it's hard because it's uncomfortable. Like you have to, you're asking for help. Fundamentally, you're asking for help. And that sucks. We are not wired. We are, we are driven type A military leaders who are Americans. We don't like to ask for help from nobody, right? <laughs> We're going to do it on our own because that's what, the, that's what our ancestors did. It is so hard. It goes against your baser instincts. And so how you reframe that into conversations, whether that's a, I'm going to just not have lunch. I'm going to not have lunch alone. I love that. Um, and, and so that's, yeah, that between that and like you thinking that you're like, I thinking I could be a CEO because I was a company commander, a time commander. Like, no, no, I assess executives every single day. Like, no, <laughs> but there's some qualities that you bring to the table anyway. Um, and I, and the reason why, you know, we connected and, and the reason I reached out to you is exactly the same mentality that share demystifying the process. Like, let me share what I have experienced so that other people can, can have a smoother pathway. Um, you know, I've been looking at exploring doing podcasts for a while and Daniel, yours is the first one I, and I chose it for a reason. So that doesn't mean anything at all <laughs> to anybody other than it's important that I think it just resonates to me with me that what you're doing and why I love it so much. Um, and so all of that comes back to the networking piece. And, and so I hear like dealing with folks that transition, A, getting over the, the fact that, you know, you're not going to be CEO right away, most likely. Um, you have to have these quality reps in your engaging, in your strategic networking. You have to have quality reps. You can start off with reps. That's great. Just get the rust off, get used to talking to people and sharing your story. And I go through, I like commit, help me ex, you know, go through my elevator pitch, explaining myself, reflecting on my process or the, through commit, but then also my additional work I did in my transition of just refining who I am in like 45 seconds. So that when I do, you know, call your elevator pitch, call it whatever, thousand cups of coffee. How are you going to explain yourself and your value proposition to an organization in 45 seconds? Mm. It's not easy, mm -mm. especially when you have to get past your own mentality of, I went to this place. I did this stuff. I went to NTC. Do you have any idea how hard that is? No one cares. No one cares. Like, unless you can translate that to a value to the organization. And that's why it's strategic networking and not just networking. Because you gained ex incredible experiences in the military from a leadership standpoint. How you translate that into value for the business you're talking to, that's the game changer. And each conversation you're having is either opening or closing a door, and that's okay. Maybe it just completely shuts off. But if you're smart about it, you can have those, like there's techniques, either I, you know, I share my book or 20-minute networking meeting. I tell everybody to go buy that book. Nathan and Marcia, who I, I consider friends now, they, they wrote a phenomenal book about how to network more effectively. You can do it in 20 minutes and it, it opens so many more doors. Hmm. And so that comes back to that strategic networking. How are you having more impactful conversations that open doors for you? Because to your point, the resume is important. It is just something to get you in the door. Because if we talk about like my first job, my first job was not on a job board. My first job was not on LinkedIn. My first job was found by strategically networking with a firm that was in the space that I was interested in because I reflected and understood I wanted to be in this kind of industry. I reached out to the place. I found someone inside the organization whose husband was a Air Force Academy grad who cross-commissioned into the infantry. And she saw my background after I talked to her and she was like, we need to bring you. So they created a job for me. Actually, my intro or my, sorry, my interview, I had to teach a class to the entire firm on leadership. That was my, that was my interview. Oh. I don't know how many people, I mean, people do weird interview. McKinsey does, you know, case studies, whatever. I did it. I taught a class. And so they created a job for me out of a whole, like out of at a whole cloth, like brand new. And then from there, once I was in, I started to build up and 
was humble enough to accept that I didn't know what was going on, but I could apply things from my background. Hey, I could, I could processify stuff and I helped them build things from there. So, um, pausing again no. for follow-up questions or anything else. So no, the, I, I absolutely love that. I think it's a recurring theme and one that. Again, it's a recurring thing because it's so important and the idea of networking, more more importantly and specifically, strategic networking. And, you know, I talk to people and they're like, I get it. I get it. Go on LinkedIn, craft the thing, do the stuff, talk to the people. And I go, no, no, no. That's just the beginning. That's that's you opening the door. But it, it it's generally what I try to express to people is it it's not that first connection. It's it's how you are perceived through that first connection. Because if you're thinking about it, what you're doing is you're, for the most part, you're talking to your peers, right? And I know when I was getting out of the, when I was getting out of the military, none of my peers were hiring managers yet, you know, uh, or or and they weren't hiring hiring managers of a team that I would have, you know, maybe I would have been overqualified for, whatever, you know, that's neither here nor there. But what you're doing is you're talking to that individual. And then your name comes up in a conversation when they have, you know, the boss comes down and says, hey, we're starting this initiative. And it's like, oh, I, you know, I know this guy. Let me reach out to him. And you begin to have that conversation where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, especially if that individual is, is in the organization is doing really well. You know, it's one thing if they're not in the organization. Not doing well, then, you know, they're going to be like, yeah, great. Like, he's like you. OK, pass. Uh, obviously, they're not going to say that to your face. But, you know, there are those individuals out there. And so. That really brings up an emphasis on two points. One, whenever I talk to veterans who have already transitioned out, I tell them it is absolutely imperative that you represent, you know, right? You take the uniform off. I get it. But for some reason, U.S. Army is still ingrained across my left pec over my heart. And the reason why I say that is because even though I'm no longer, and I just, we just had, I had a conversation with this on the previous episode. Um. Even though I'm no longer wearing that uniform, I am still a representative via being a veteran of that organization. And if you go into an or another organization and you perform poorly, you are crushing the hopes and dreams of those individuals coming behind you. So heed that warning. The second one being on the flip side, as you are doing well, think about ways of how you can add benefit to an organization via you know, having the, the, you're growing your network inside of your organization. Um, you know, the, the people that I talk to just going through the army, my, my, my final, um, the Barty commander, um, he was, he was great. And his biggest thing was when you're in an organization, create a spider web, create a spider web, you're in the center of it. And think about, you know, I want to capture more stuff as I go out to. How do you capture more stuff? Not, and that doesn't necessarily need to be jobs, money, et cetera. It's just, I, you know, you, you build knowledge, you build experience, you build growth by building that spider web. How do you build a spider web? You network. You network with strategically across all different parts of the organization, different industries, different people. Just continue to branch out. And you'd be surprised at the things, to your point, that land in your spider web. And so... It, there's there's a two way street to that, and and I, and I love that you just just talk about the strategic the strategic networking because it is you know there there is a act there is both there's action on both sides. It's making sure you're reflecting your previous organization well, being the U.S. Army, and then trudging your way through to talk to the right people so that you can you know you can be that lifeline that connects those individuals. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to hit on because we, we said we'd talk about it and I love it. And it's, it's, it's been something that I always talk to people who have been in command before. And it's this idea of I was a company commander, which equals I'm a CEO. I could be a CEO of a company, right? You go, you're like v, vice president, senior VP. It's like, dude, you're, you know, I just, please, please share. You, you, you mentioned it, right? You, you, you evaluate executives on, on a daily basis. So please just share some some wisdom in there as these company commanders strategically network with people in the civilian world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't want to disparage too much because I have the same mentality. I can do that. Yes. And, and it's not, there are things that you are learning and doing as a company commander, battalion commander, brigade, any level of command or leadership in the military. 
there are fundamentals that you are learning that will make you successful at higher levels, period. One of the best examples, the ability to decide with limited information and move forward confidently and adjust on the fly. Like that's kind of what we did most of the time, right? Whether that's, you know, insert X role in the military, you're kind of like, I got 80-ish percent, we're gonna go and we're gonna figure it out as we go. Perfect is the enemy, good enough, insert X, like, you know, pleasantry, platitude, whatever. Like there are, that learning that is so important because you'd be surprised how many people think you gotta get to like 100%, the other piece of that is like the follow through, the discipline, the accountability. There are things that you are learning. Let me tell you the number of, I, I, I keep a list, right? Um, and I'm going to pull this up just out of my own insanity. Okay? And this, I call this my bank of learning and knowledge or bank of knowledge and learning. And again, I assess executives for a living. And so I interact with every level of the C-suite and across all various industries. This is just CFOs. Contribution margin, guarding against downside cost centers in businesses, pay for performance evaluation, how to recap a private equity, top line versus bottom line revenue. That's just simple stuff. Like if you can tell me what that is and you can do that right now and execute while there's paychecks on the line, then maybe you can be a CEO. Maybe. But that's that's like the top five, like the first five things I learned in talking to like the first CFO I met. And that is scratching the surface of are about 85 other things that I've had to like research for just one role. And so I didn't even know what EBITDA is. If again, acronyms that people like don't even realize are a thing, maybe you got an MBA, that's super helpful, but it still doesn't make you ready to be a CEO. And so bringing all that stuff together, that's what's going to make you successful down the road. So you're, you're laying the foundation and the groundwork to be successful at that level. But if you think you're going to market yourself to be a CEO walking right out the gate, like maybe there's a place that works. I don't know. I haven't seen one yet for what it's worth. I've been doing this for about a little over two years uh, in, in this kind of industry. And you're, there are so many qualities that you're gaining, but it's better to think about how are you translating your value in a way that's going to resonate with the business so that you can grab hold and then launch from there. Because as soon as you get in the door there, whether that's at a, AVP level or whatever, like insert exposition, you get in there and you just start crushing it. That's where the game starts to change because there is no limitation to how fast and far you can go. If you show the competency and you show the drive, maybe there, there are organizations where there are some like artificial like requirements for, for metering yourself. And sometimes you got to hold off because you don't outkick your coverage. I'm one of those folks that needs to slow down and be more patient. But it's not like there's no government, there's no law that restricts your promotion like there is in the military. You can, I was, I was promoted twice within, I was promoted, I don't know, like in the first three months of my first firm. I was promoted again at like month 10. You know, I took over a piece of the business at month 10. But I couldn't show up and say, hey, I'm going to run your training and development because of X, Y, and Z. No, I had to show up, do good work consistently. And then I started being able to spider web out, grab stuff in. Hey, I'm going to do this and try and do it really well. I'm going to take, I'm going to reorganize the shared drive. Something simple that I had done before. I'm going to just do that proactively. And then, oh, wow, thanks. And I'm, we're going to promote you. We're going to give you a raise. Like, you know, it's, you may have to take a little bit of a humble pill. You may have to take a little bit step down below what you are probably from a leadership capability standpoint you probably have to take a little step down from what your ego says you can do. Suck it up. That's all I can say. Suck it up. Because what if you show up and you do the good work after that, the sky is the limit. There's no shortage of opportunities for you in the corporate world. And it is, it is incredibly fun and exciting. But please, if I can advise anything, and I, and I love having that conversation, you're not going to be a CEO right away. Unless you open your own business and you can put CEO at the bottom of your t-shirt company title. I don't care. Yep. That's great. Yep. I'm the CEO of my publishing company that I did. Like means nothing. Yep. But if you've got the heart, the drive, and you can take a little bit of humble pill, you're going to move super fast. I promise you move super fast, but don't think you're going to start at the top. That's, I mean, yes, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better, obviously. Um, but you know, I, I, 
I, I love the mentality and, and I've talked to a few people on this and they don't like to hear it. And whenever I talk to them and tell them this, I think that kind of turns them off and they don't want to hear it. But it's this idea of taking the humble pill, maybe come in, coming in at a little bit lower than you thought, right? Adjusting in the means you have to adjust your lifestyle. And, and, and I don't want to get on a soap, uh, you know, a, a pedestal here, right? A soapbox. But to all the people out there that are listening to this, and it's probably none of them that are listening to this, stop telling officers, junior, junior officers, that you're going to get out and you're going to make $150,000. It's just stop telling them that because you're setting them up for failure. Because to your point exactly, if they just swallowed the humble pill and they went into an organization at a lower level and proved that the character and the competence, right? Like that's, that is our bread and butter as officers. That's at the end of the day, you're right. We don't have the hard skills, but what we do have and what we have had in every single environment is the ability to adapt, learn and overcome any obstacle that we come. That's, and that's what makes the U S army so great. And so just focus on that mentality of thinking like, Oh, I need to come in and be a seat. No, 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 no. Get in there, learn, become competent. Like you're saying, Zach, and then let your character shine through and then really be able to just communicate effectively. And you'd be surprised. I, I, I mean, I, I was finally able to get in contact with somebody at BAE. I'd reached out to him and, and, you know, he hit me up six months later. He's like, hey, I'm so sorry. The West Point grad, I'm so sorry that I never got back to you. I've been in the Middle East, undisclosed location doing, you know, X, Y, and Z things. How can I help you? And I said, well, you know, I, I got a job, uh, but I'd love to pick your brain. And, you know, like, as I kind of navigate through my own career. And he goes, let me tell you this. I went into BAE two positions low. And within the span of 10 months, I, I don't know, I think it was, I think it was like between 10, almost 10 months in a year, he had then went two levels above where he, you know, and, and he was just, it was because I came in, I shut up, I listened, I became competent I communicated effectively and they loved my character and they knew I was going to perform when I said I was going to perform. And he was like, if you can spread that message to people, do it as much as possible. And so I, I just, I, I really appreciate that mentality because I think so often do officers fall into, fall into the trap of, Oh, you know, and, and again, I, I'm not preaching against this. It's just, I go get an MBA, you know, I take company command, I go get an MBA and I come out and I make, you know, I'm in this high level position and it's like, that's just not that there are people that do that. And there are some very smart people and roles pop up is, you know, accordingly, but that's not always going to be the case. And say the majority of the time, especially in today's world, that's not the case. People, those people in those senior positions are holding onto their jobs a little bit longer. Um, and so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, um, you know, to all you company commanders out there listening, I'm not, I'm not, not chopping down your ego. Hey, you could, if you are company commander X, you could be the next CEO of a company you know, just don't, don't hedge your bet on it. Um, you know, I would say bet on the under on that if you're a sports betting individual, but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. So the really kind of the last thing I, I, I really want to hit on Zach, I, I really just appreciate this conversation, but, um, you know, it, it, I would, uh, be besides myself if I didn't get an opportunity to talk about really kind of one of the things that you, you were talking about and, and it's, it's your book that you wrote about transitioning out of the military. Um, in the previous episode, I talked about the idea of learning versus education or going to school. And I think that, you know, there's this idea that, you know, the learning can't happen outside of getting an MBA or going to school or getting a master's in this. And that's just not true. And there are resources out there like this book that Zach wrote that you can learn a lot from. And so I'd love for you to just share um, just more about that. Um, and then how people can kind of, you know, what, I, I know there's some stuff that goes with that. Um, yeah. So please just share that to the audience out there and how they can get in touch with that, with that amazing resource. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thrilled, thrilled to share. Um, it, really what it comes back to is sharing. So that's where this whole thing started from. As mentioned, was publicly reflecting. So it was using LinkedIn as a, as a medium to share these lessons learned. And so I, I did a 28 article series from the time that I really started going hard in the paint on the transition up until I got a job. And then I, article 28 was a summary of all the lessons that I learned. Like if I could go back and do it all over again, if I could talk to my younger self and say, Hey dude, like this is what you would do. And you could do this a lot better and a lot easier. That's where, that's what the last article was. The book is sort of like three different things. First, it's that primarily it's that. 
it is an expert, it's exploration of what someone's transition looks like in real time, using that as the background. The reason it turned into a book is because a, a family friend who's an executive recruiter, he called me up and he said, hey, idiot, nice, nice to hear from you too, Al. Um, hey, idiot, turn this into a book. Because I know I no intentions. I, I wanted to share this with folks. But he was sending that last article to executives. He's sending that to transitioning service members because it was a value. It was a resource. And so that inspired me to do take this a little bit step further. Where, all right, here's my journey in real time, you know, doing my bunny ears quotes, where you get to see all of the things that I did in that six-ish month time frame while I was transitioning, going through SFL tap, going through the commit foundation, doing these networking engagements, celebrating the people that helped me. There's that. Then I took it a step further for myself and for the for the reader. And I built reflection questions and exercises. And the reason why is because ultimately what I was doing in my transition was figuring out who I am and what I want. If I better under, it's like land nav, right? It's just a dorky explanation, but it's like land nav. Like what's the first step of land? You got to figure out where the heck you are. Otherwise you're just going to get lost again. And so a lot of it is reflecting on what's important. Who are you? Mm. Who are you post-military? Who are you beyond the uniform? And then taking stock of that and the things that really excite you, the things you don't like to do, what do you not want to carry for? Like, I don't travel super frequently. I travel sometimes, but it's usually like because that's something I want to do. And I don't want to be on the road four to five out, you know, days out of the week and be a road warrior because one of the reasons why I was excited to get out of the military was so I wasn't deploying time and being away from my kids and being there for soccer and coaching softball. If that stuff's important to you, take stock of that because that's part of who you are. Mm. Figuring out what you want is the next step. And so that's where a lot of the exercises come into play. So, hey, you know, doing an analysis of yourself, like what skills do you bring to the table? Do you have certifications? Do you have the fee? Is that something that you want to bring to bear where I want to do be a professional engineer? So let me take stock of all the stuff that I have and then figure out what's out there in the world. Maybe I want to go work for an engineering firm. I have me, I have engineering firm, like this specific role, but there's a gap between those two. How do I fill that gap so that that either gap is more narrow so that the, the, the firm hiring me is like, we'll take a chance on that person or the gap goes away and they're like, yeah, I'm just totally qualified. Is that using something like uh, Syracuse University, the, I, the Institute for Military Veterans Families, where they, you can go to the onward opportunity, get a free certification, PMP, Lean Six Sigma. Like, will that narrow that gap? so that you can go from yourself to where you want to go much quicker. So that's taking stock of those things. That's a large part of or a big part of the book is doing the work because it's work to figure out how to get from where you are to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And ultimately understanding that it comes back to that strategic networking, taking a little bit of a humble pill and taking that leap forward into the unknown because it's going to feel uncomfortable when you step out there and you think you're supposed to get a six figure job on day one. And you may have to take a little bit of a, like, I got to step out into this. And I got a lot riding. The last piece that I weirdly was like the last thing I added into the book that often resonates the most is imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a random ad here, but I think it's really important to mention because of a lot of what we've talked about already, where you think you, you start to second guess yourself. You start to think, why can't, what's wrong with me? What is it that I'm not bringing to the table that's not getting me the job? Why am I sitting around for four months? Why isn't someone beating down my door? And taking stock of the conversations that were going in and all in my head and the insanity that exists up here, oh, you're not going to make it. Your family's, you're going to let people down. And using that as a, as a catapult, something that I, I just, it's something that exists. And not a, one of those things that has resonated with veterans that could come up to me over and over again about this, where no one's talked about that in that way. And for being such an innocuous kind of last second ad, it's really important to understand that you're going to go through some stuff and it's going to make you not feel great. Like we got you, like it's, it's a real thing. It's okay. And you're going to have to ask for help. And I'm not saying like, I'm worried about people's safety. That is definitely a concern too, but 
it's going to feel really uncomfortable and we, we've been there and it's a real thing. It's okay to feel that way. It's okay. Uh, but we got you. There's a big, there's a big group of folks here that are wanting to help you. Uh, I promise. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that last, that last bit there on, you know, really just the, um, I, you know, I don't really know how to phrase it, but it's, it is, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a reality. And I think what, you know, if you're out there listening, you made it through far this episode, one of the, one of the biggest things that you need to understand when you're transitioning on the army is the fact that you are going to go through and endure crucibles. And those are going to, those are going to be what shape you as you go forward in the future. And Zach, you just laying, laying that out and, and helping the audience understand, Hey, th- it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. This is, this is just the, the nature of the beast. And, um, I just really appreciate, appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, one of the things that I talk to people is, is and usually it's a question I ask I mean, we've covered it, but, uh, really, you know, when you're thinking about getting out of the army or the military, sorry, really thinking about what is your why like why are you getting out of the military and it cannot it cannot be really i would say kind of major components are it can't be about money it can't be about uh, a job or a title um and, and it can't really at the end of the day it can't be something that's tangible because to your point those things are going to those things are going to come and they're going to go and your mindset's going to change and the more you wrap your idea around seeing a you know what what is your what does your summit look like as you look out where do you see yourself because you know to your point if 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 i'm getting out of the military and i want to spend more time with my family and you know give my family opportunities and be there to do things but i want to i'm going to pursue this career field or industry that's going to prohibit me from doing that well then you're 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 going to find yourself back in that original position where you're at um and and the, and the second thing that i want to say about that is and I, and i've I've hit on this as well. There's two things that are really important that are, that are to have strong. We've covered the first is a, is a network. The second is your community. The, the, the people, and, and I'm not talking, you know, I love, I love, I love my soldiers and I love my, you know, my, my friends, my officer friends, but what I'm talking about is, is people that are going to be like family. Right. And, and that can be your wife, you know, that can be your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, um, you know, or, or whoever you're really, for, for me, um, you know, and, I, and I've talked about this before, but I, I go to, I go to Austin Stone down here in Austin and that's my church group. And I have what we call missional community. And when I was getting out of the military, you know, I looked at them and I said, Hey guys, this might, this might get a little tough and I might experience some things and I need you and I need you to hold me accountable along the way. Um, and they did just that. And I'm very thankful for them. And so that's whenever I talk to people, and I think that's where people kind of fall short as they work on that network, but they forget it. They forget to make sure that that foundational community that they have when they go to make that jump, um, isn't as strong. And so I just encourage you listeners out there, um, you know, to really kind of focus on that. And Zach, I kind of, I, I saw you kind of perk up in your seats. I'd love to just kind of hear what you got to say about that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Daniel, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Because if I, if, you know, thinking back even further, right. So reflecting on even more of what I didn't do in the transition is exactly that is, is finding an outlet that is a community of sorts, whatever that looks like to you. Are you going to be the, you know, the, the gal who's going to sit in the VA or in the, uh, you, you know, in the, um, the VFW in the smoky bar and just, she's just going to sit around and drink beer all day with the vets and share war stories. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, are you going to be the person that thinks they're going to entirely shed their identity of something they did for five plus years? Like maybe, but at some point it's going to come back. And there is so, I did not do this intentionally. And I I mentioned it. I don't think I, I don't think I hammered home enough in the book. And so if I, whenever, if there's a version two of this book, it's exactly that. It's how are you being more intentional about finding someone or finding a community that's going to receive you that understands what you're about to go through. Because I had folks that I walked into that were very, very fortunately in this area. I didn't know who sucked me into um, the VFW. They sucked me into 
couple of other like volunteer type veteran related organizations where I got to not only be a part of as a member, but I also got to help coach other people, help develop things. So I got to like take what I love doing and do more of it. Um, but then like, there's another one, for example, that I resonates so strongly with me is merging vets and players, mm. which is another one where it's, it's, it's combat veterans. I think they're about to expand it to, to veterans in general, but combat veterans and former pro athletes where you get together and you have a, a workout and this is once a week, there's a workout and then you get together and you have peer to peer support because your identity is going to change significantly. And the longer you've been in the military, the more stark it's going to feel. Mm. And if you don't have people that you can lean on when it gets weird, it's really hard. It's really hard. And that's where having somebody as a church, whether, but they have to know. And that's the trick. It's one thing to be a part of my kid's soccer team. Yeah. It's another part to know that like the coaches know that like, this is the anniversary when my buddy was killed in Afghanistan. Yeah. And like, it might be, I might be a little more quiet right now. Yeah. Like other organizations know that about me or others so that we know we can share, like we can be ourselves and we can connect back to that without like going full coffee company and like, you know, yeah. like full vet bro, this is my entire life. Yeah. So it's just so important. And I, I love that you brought that up. Uh, Zach, I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's, I think it's, yes. Uh, I mean, if you just kind of think about how you get through deployments, um, you know, I call it what you will for me. Um, not that I was looking for imminent danger, but I would say I was fortunate to not have to get deployed. Um, I just know that there's a lot of not only physical, but mental side effects that come with doing that. Um, and just knowing my emotional state, um, not doing that. Um, I could imagine what it would have been like had I done that, but right. It's, if you, you think about just your, your core, group of people, your community in the military, right? And, and just how foundational they are to not to just your growth and your success and the ability to get through things in your military. And, you know, I'm not saying that those individuals are going anywhere, but, you know, you guys are separating paths. And so you do have to kind of find and, and, and find that crew outside of the military. And I think it's just, it, it is really pivotal. And um, I, I'm, I'm, ex I'm inspired to see V2 of the, uh, the book. And um, I, I love it. I love that uh, there's some, some motivation there. And this is exactly why I love having these conversations because it, it, at the end of the day, it allows not only myself, but, you know, podcast guests like yourself to just continue to reflect on, man, oh yeah, I forgot about that part. And I can't, man, I, you know, it's like, it's crazy that it's just, this is how it's going. And, um, so Zach, I mean, we covered so much on this podcast episode. I mean, honestly, I feel like there might be like a, an episode two down the road. Um, and, and, uh, as things continue to grow in, in my neck of the woods, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, that was an absolute blast talking with you. Yeah. Same Daniel. Thank you for what you're doing for, for everybody. This is wonderful and uh, thrilled to be a part of it. Thank you for letting me spend the time with you. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, time flew by. And for all your listeners out there, you know, we were at that hour two mark. And uh, it was an absolute, absolute awesome episode. And I uh, just kind of want to wrap it up. So for, for all you guys listening out there, uh, thank you for tuning into this episode. It is greatly appreciated. Um, I just want to ask you to do a few things to help this community continue grow. A, subscribe. B, leave a comment. And C, tell all of your friends, um, you know, all your, your 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 peers, those who are have transitioned out or thinking about transitioning out. This, I'm trying to do my best to make sure this podcast isn't just a transition out of the army. And if you heard me mention it at the beginning of the episode, that transition is evergreen. It is something that is always going to be happening. You're going to continue to transition because we're different. We have a different set of, of, of characteristics and values that have driven us to this point. And so, and that's a great thing. Uh, so please share that as we continue to grow this community so we can have more individuals pour into this um, and create something that's going to be the great resource um, uh, for those of you out there. So without further ado, thank you guys for uh, tuning into this episode. And remember at the end of the day, good luck. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It'll Buff Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoy having them. Here's the thing. If you like that episode, please do a few things to help me out. One, go save this podcast, put it in your library. I'm going to be releasing one episode a week, every week, 
here on forward. The next thing is go to the fiveandfly.com and take the survey. It'd be really helpful for you to take the survey to help paint a picture of where each member that is separating from the military that's interested in this community is at. There's all kinds of questions, things that I've covered from previous episodes, so please go take the survey. Third, please go schedule one-on-one on the website. I'd love to talk to you and hear where you're at in your transition journey and help at least put you on the right hazmuth and potentially work with you for the, for the future to come. Lastly, if you or somebody you know has a separation story that you would like this community to hear, please reach out to me so we can schedule that story and I'd love to have you on the podcast. Again, this is a community by you guys for the people that are coming behind us. The goal is to make each person that comes behind us as they separate from the army have a more successful path than we did. That's the goal. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed and remember, it'll buff.